I almost have originally wondered, is this like Moses just speaking through hyperbole or figure of speech or something? If the ground gobbles them up and they die in some, you know, that it wasn't intended to be by Moses, something literal, but more uh, figurative. Um, and, but then what does God do? In verse 31, just as he finished speaking all these words, the ground beneath them split open. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households, all Korah's people and all their possessions. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. Hello, gentlemen. Shalom. Good. I love the shalom. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've, that's grown on me so much. It's, it's his, it his intro. It is. It's good. It's very so, good. So welcome to the podcast. This is the beginning of season eight. Yeah, yeah. So go us. Woo! You know, episode one seventy one, and uh, the reason why, <clears throat> if you haven't caught on yet, our seasons are the uh, mm-hmm. semesters of the college that we're at. Yep. And and seminary, <clears throat> and so it's a new spring semester, season eight. That's yep. why that is the way it is. And then don't we we just fold summer into the spring season? I think that's I think it's how been we do trailing. It. We did yeah. one summer season. We just basically. Yeah. Spring is the bigger one, but that's okay. Did you have a... No, that was my question. What is summer then? Mm-hmm. Summer is just this time in left it's field. It's an extension of spring. <laughs> it's time in left field. That's right. Yes. <laughs> summer in left field. I'm so excited about that. So since the Thinklings are so good at coming up with holidays, celebrations are in order. Oh, boy. Today is January 16th, which is... Uh, probably Balrog Day or something. Day two of the 10 days of Balrog. So on January 15th, that is the day that Gandalf falls off the bridge of Khazadum. And 10 days later on the 25th is when he slays the Balrog on the top of the mountain. Ceremonially, Tim is lighting a candle in uh, you in can't the see honor it. of Balrog. Can we Instagram that? We <laughs> should Instagram that. I don't know if I can. I don't know. And so, to... That was quick. In honor of Balrog <clears throat> days, and I know like the Christmas season is kind of over, but a few weeks ago I did pen a song. A song? <gasps> and it's the so like you know the 12 days of Christmas? Yes. So this is the 10 days of Balrog. Oh, yes. I'm not going to sing it, but I am going to, there it is, the ceremonial lighting of uh, the torch. So here are the 10 days of Balrog. And uh, I'll just walk you through, I'm going to start at 10 and go all the way down. And it's, it's to the tune of 12 days of Christmas. So on the 10th day of Balrog, which would be the 25th of January, Gandalf said to me. So these are all phrases that Gandalf says. I'm so excited about this. So what do you mean is the morning good is from the Hobbit. That's good. How about old friends? You haven't aged a day. Pity stayed his blade. So that's when he's uh, talking to Frodo about not killing Gollum. Talking about Bilbo not killing him when he could have. The, you know, five golden rings is fool of a took. Fool of it, that's good. You cannot pass, fly, you fools, back to the shadows. And then... Uh, <laughs> that's the part- good. The you partridge- should sing it. You need to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Maybe next year we'll have a Christmas album. Anyway. <laughs> and then the, the last the last part of it, which is to... Uh, and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm a servant of the secret fire. And those those are all quotes directly from Gandalf. So those are 10 things that Gandalf says. So right on theme for the 10 days of ball. Secret of the servant fire. I'm a servant of the secret fire. Can you just even just like a little bit sing it? Or I will. Like, I feel like that needs to be sung. Maybe, maybe next year we will, uh, you know, we have sung at the intro to the podcast before. What is servant of the secret fire? Oh, Gandalf says he's yeah. the servant of yeah. the secret fire. I am fire. the servant of the secret fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's back, to the, back to the shadows. Okay. Fly, you fools. <laughs> you cannot pass. Yeah, I should so, tell my kids about this. because now. What does that mean he's the servant of the secret fire? I never thought about it's that. probably has something to do with the Silmarillion, and he's one of the five wizards. And oh, yeah, okay. it, it's all in the background. in the background, is my yeah. guess. <gasps> okay, well, uh, 
Happy Balrog days. Thank you. Happy Balrog days. All right. <clears throat> Here is what is in this episode. We are going to have some Andy's Weekly Wisdom. We are then going to interact with an email that we received where we're going to correct Tim, which yep. doesn't happen often. And then we are going to answer quickly a question that was in that same email. Then we're going to have books in business where we're going to do something a little different, but still booksy and businessy. And then on to the main topic of the episode, which will be in numbers 13, where sixteen little 16, no, number 16, I'm getting it mixed up. It's okay. It's almost like it's a I big don't Bible. read numbers. <laughs> anyway, you have your devotions there. I don't haven't yet. Uh, so it's on the rebellion of Korah. Right. And you've caught that maybe in the title of the podcast. And then we'll have a final thought at the end as we kind of wrap up with that passage. So on to the next thing, Andy's weekly wisdom. So quick quote for you this week. It is from Ed Welch in his book, side by side, walking with others in wisdom and love. I like this quote because it is applicable all the time. He says, anything that reminds us that we are dependent on God and other people is a good thing. Otherwise, we trick ourselves into thinking that we are self-sufficient and arrogance is sure to follow. We need help and God has given us his spirit in each other to provide it. <clears throat> and I just think that uh, even right now in my life, I've got stuff going on and I'm reaching out to wise counselors and already I'm seeing that they have saved me from making big mistakes and things. And there are times where I just can't do everything. Like in my life, I have lots I need help with. And everyone has been stepping up. And that's that's good. That's good for me to remember that I can't do anything more than God allows me to do. So listener, what in your life is an example that you're dependent on God? And how can you remember that and not forget it and become prideful? There you go. That's some weekly wisdom. That really coincides well with... Uh theme of number 16 it yeah it's like what is your mission yes and then it's like stay on mission focus yep. on your task and don't be envious of somebody else's mission yeah unless the ground swallow you whole <laughs> okay okay you know <laughs> we are grateful for the mercy of god even we when we fail there's so it's many almost... times i should have been smashed in my life Ooh. and god was kind <laughs> too many times we should be swallowed by the ground but <laughs> it's almost like Balrog Days is on theme too because Gandalf like falls down into the pit oh and he takes 10 days to come back out. You know, like, it's almost like it was meant to be. Anyway. Left field. Le well, well, the core falls into the pit. Oh. Gandalf. Wow. Yeah, sorry. We had to connect the dots oh, I wasn't there. catching it. No. See, Tim, you're so, dependent on other people and I had to help you. Yes. <laughs> so sometimes my really weird things do have something to do with the podcast. Even though that was not planned. Anyway, so, <laughs> so good. This is the third year that we've celebrated Balrog Days, by the way. I'm quite proud of that. Anyway, we have some listener feedback to discuss. And so, <laughs> listener uh, Abigail Kelly emailed in. And so, first, we have some just a correction on something we said in the previous episode. And then we have a question. And Tim, do you want to read through or discuss sure. those? So, on the most uh, episode 170, I mentioned Gladys Alward as being a missionary to Africa, and I was incorrect. She was a missionary to China. Mary Slessor was a missionary to Africa. And so that is a bit of a correction. Thank you, Abigail, for writing in and uh, um, correcting me. I actually don't know anything about Gladys Alward. I'll actually hmm. need to actually study her out because I was getting her confused with Mary Slessor. Are we going to talk about the question? Yeah, so she has two questions. Question two? Uh, am I doing question one? I don't know. Are we? We, we hadn't talked about that one. Which, uh, which question do you want to interact question with? Question one was the one I thought I was going to interact with. I'm just going to go for it. it, do it Tim. So on the podcast, Dr. Little in particular has <laughs> talked quite a bit about men being spiritual leaders and complementarianism. I understand and agree with all that. My question is this, when husbands and fathers fail to be spiritual leaders, what then for women? So, so really wives or daughters, she kind of has in parentheses there. It's a really good question. And we talked about maybe making it an episode in the future. And we might do that. Actually, I've been talking to my wife about this very thought as well. And um, in encouraging her perhaps to write an article or something uh, to deal with this situation. There's a lot of uh, 
uh, situation and wisdom connected to the question where sometimes, you know, the godly woman, you know, she's building up her house and there is a point where she might be able to save her house from disaster and that she should act and help save her house from disaster. But in other situations, it may be that what God is doing is going to teach her husband um, what what the right way is through his failure and where he, you know, he should get what he deserves, so to speak. But then I would also say there's also another situation where from a wife or a, uh, a woman's perspective, he, um, he might be right and you might be wrong and you don't really even know. You see, so there's a lot of situations uh, that might be at play uh, in a question, in a situation like this. Um, and so that's why, you know, I think it might be something that we revisit in the future. So um, anyway, that's kind of like maybe a little bit of advice, but a little bit of a teaser. But um, at the same time, one thing I really would like to for you to walk away with, when husbands and fathers fail to be spiritual leaders, what does that mean and what does that look like? Because sometimes as a father and as a husband, what my wife perceives as failing to be a spiritual leader may actually be him spiritually leading and he's doing it in an indirect way. If that makes yes. any sense yep. at all. Yep. Okay. So I am a manager of my household and I manage the bookstore and sometimes what you do as a manager is you just let people do too much because then they realize that they can't do it all and they need to get help. And so I've had this happen in my home and in my workplace where um, employees or even family members, they just keep working. And what I want them to see is that they're doing too much and they need to ask for help. Um, but I could see how somebody might perceive that I'm being a poor leader. So that's a little bit of that. Boom. Done. With that, we have some thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. <laughs> Let's talk about some books. But we're not. But we're not. We're talking to the book. It I, is books. I didn't know if I was supposed to say it. Yeah. Well, we've never done this before. So... What we're going to talk about in this Books and Business is what we've been reading in Scripture. So our devotions or our time in God's Word. And let's see, uh, Tim, since you're doing the main episode, why don't you start and we'll go over that way. Sure. So uh, for our family devotions, we've been reading through First and Second Samuel. And we just went through the two deaths, death accounts of Saul. <laughs> Talked about those with the kids. And also the difference between First and Second Samuel. And how First and Second Samuel is just the scroll got too big and they cut it in half. <laughs> it's always a fun revelation for That's people. Good. It's like, oh, what is different between? Why is it First and Second? Oh, the scroll got too long. Some people want a megalote. Some people want too many. <laughs> uh, so we've been working through that as far as like personal details. Two, two light bulb emojis. That was that was good. That was really good. Tim actually chuckled at that. He so. did. He did. No eye roll. No horrendous. He chuckled. It was OT though. So, yeah. And then uh, personally, I've been working through Proverbs 30. I am probably going to be having devotions from Proverbs a lot. And uh, I've been really struggling through a small section. Um, anyway, I've been in, I'm working through Proverbs 30 for my personal devotions. Very nice. I try to do um, most days of the week the five-year Bible reading plan that Tim Challies recommends. It's really nice. It gives you a couple of flex days. I listen to it. Oh, say it, Charlie. Tim Challies, friend, friend of, of the, the podcast. podcast. There you go. So that's usually where I'm at. and <clears throat> But I have so many other things I do, and then I miss days, that I've been working on the same five-year or year like plan for like two years. So I'm, I'm progressing through that. But right now I'm, <laughs> I had taken a step back from it because I, I know I joked about this back when you guys interviewed me about Robin's death and how things were going, but I really am going to do a study on blessing and blessed. And so I've yeah. started doing my textual study. I've got my, 
dictionary stuff up and you might think that's what you do for your devotions. And I would say, yeah, because it's, it's nourishing and it's in the word. Yeah. And it's, I don't have a problem with that. It, you know, if it's only a study and you're not uh, attending to your soul, of course that's a problem. But I would just say like right away, I've already been, you know, if you think of the word blessed and what is blessed, what does it mean to be blessed? Already, like I started in Genesis and we're in 128 and God blessed them. Yeah. And God said to them, and I'm like, well, how do you bless them? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And it's weird. It's almost like blessing there is not what you or I might think like, here's a bunch of material blessings. Right. It's like, this is an endowment to be able to carry out this task. And that is how I'm blessing you. So I'm really interested to see how this study goes. I'm sort of thinking about maybe using it at a camp this summer. I just got to get further down the road. Um, but that's basically where I've been. So I've been really thinking about blessing and whatnot. Go ahead. I really like that. We should yeah. collaborate a little bit. Well, on I was it. already thinking, I want to talk to you about the OT stuff. The NT stuff I'm fine on. But yeah. this OT stuff, I just need a guide yeah. to help me get off the ground. That's good because I don't know anything about the New Testament. Oh, my word. It just <laughs> sounds like the Old Testament. I don't know anything about either. And I just have to say that <laughs> Halot is not nearly as well organized as BDAG. That's all I'm going to say. Like, yes. like It is like a, a, a you have to like go okay. through it and you highlight. And, you can't treat Halot like BDAG. Well, I know, I know, and that's, I, I mean... Like, Kalad is one, <clears throat> and I use the Dictionary of Classical Hebrew, and then so, and you, you should get my big book over here. Yes. And so go a little deeper. We just need to... So that's what I need help with. The I, collaboration. I, I need the collaboration on getting my feet yeah. wet on, like, a, an OT study. Right. I've done those in an English level, but I want to make sure I'm... I'd like to look at underlying words, but I know that's going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. But my thought was even, maybe you would help me by doing part of that. Yeah. And then that's something you got. So maybe, anyways... Uh, we could... Uh, write like a blog article or something on it. I do think so. I do think Ooh, so. Which we won't say anything else about it because we won't get sidetracked. But I like that. Things are coming. I like blogs. We should do that. I'm oh. not a huge fan, but I'm going to try to do some. It's not a blog. It's electronic ink, Tim. <laughs> get with the times. So for my time in God's Word, I've primarily been thinking about the topic of blessing. And then I've also been reading along in my Bible reading program. And I'm in the uh, pastoral epistles. Man, I love the pastoral epistles. Mm. They're good. And that's been a lot of nourishing, just direct commands to people who want to serve the Lord in ministry. Just really good reminders. Go ahead, Tim. So coming back to that blessing thing, mm -hmm. it's yeah. an interest of mine because blessed is Christian kish. Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> and it drives me bonkers. But at the same time, blessed. <laughs> I've, I've written a book now, and you're always supposed to write in the book. And what do you normally write? Yeah. God bless you yeah. or something yeah. like that. And I feel like I'm just participating in the Christian kish mess. And so that's why even thinking through, well, what am I doing when I say God bless you or... Um, whatever. Anyway, yeah. it's funny too. That another thing, this is not what generated it. Honestly, it was just that I studied suffering and then I studied death and contentment. Yeah. And I'm like, well, let's study blessing. Yeah. And I do think God is plans to bless people. But, um, Andy Wilson's, um, book I talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, not notes of the tilt wheel death by living. Okay. In it, he was just making a comment about how his mom would come tuck him in at night and like say a blessing and then pray for him. Yeah. And I remember thinking like saying a blessing. Now that's very like Protestant and or like ritualistic, mm -hmm. but reading like what she said to her kids, I'm like, man, that would be a good thing for a kid to have rehearsed over and over. Right. Like, I mean, you grow up to be a godly man and follow the Lord and serve God. Yeah. Like, Oh, that's interesting. So there's all kinds of, and then you, you see that with, um, uh, he dies, Joseph's his son. I can't think of his name. And he blesses his kids at the very end. And Jacob? Yeah, Jacob, sorry. Yeah. So there's, there's, the whole topic is just interesting to me. And I think it's part of this is because in Job 121, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. And he does give. Yeah. But he also takes. So I'm, I think I'm trying to study that all out. So that's and, kind of what I've been meditating on spiritually. And that's but. a real weird thing in Job because the word for curse is actually the Bless. word for bless. It is. Yeah. It's like messed up. And so yeah. why is that? And there's a whole conversation about it. I saw that when I was walking through chapter one and yeah. I didn't have any clue. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you, what do you make? What, what do you make of that? Right. <laughs> but interesting. Contextually, it's clearly curse. But yeah. the word in Hebrew is the word yeah. for bless. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so one of the things that I've been reading is it's the New Testament 
Proverbs, the book of James. Mm. And uh, so I, with this specifically, Andy, we really need to contact these people about being a sponsor. Uh, Bookly, yes. you can finish something and then you can like scroll down. You can be like, I want to read it again. And have you ever done that? No. Then on the picture in Bookly, it puts a little two. <gasps> so I think it keeps track of how many times what? you've read it. Wow. And uh, and so like I, I love those little ESV scripture journals. And so I've been entering those as wow. books. And then I you know read through them and counting it towards my reading goals because why wouldn't I, yeah. I guess? Yeah. And but then I got done with James and I tried the first time just to read it and like, what is it saying? And trying not to like produce from it. Like, mm-hmm. yes. you know, we yeah. were talking er- earlier yeah, about, exactly. um, Sir Tayange had this illustration of like, when you go to read something, you're not the stamp, you're the wax. Yeah. It's like, you need to be stamped. And it, mm-hmm. that couldn't be any truer than with scripture. Yeah. And so trying to just go to it and receive from it, Almost like we should receive the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. Oh, man. That anyway, almost sounds that? very scriptural. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I was going to write something, if I was going to write something, I'd probably include that in there. <laughs> I can't give out enough light bulb emojis. Anyway, right now. This is so, great. but then I, I was like, man, as I read it, I realized it's, it's so similar to Proverbs in the sense that it doesn't just tell you what's wise. It tries to picture it for you. Yeah. So for example, like yep. the idea of being tested in trial, that is a metal and fire. Like that is how that word gets used in other places in scripture. Peter directly uses that illustration mm. of gold to refine the gold. <clears throat> and then right after that, if you lack wisdom, just ask God cause he will give, but you better not ask doubting because that person is mm. like a ship getting tossed on the sea. It's a picture. So and I, I just started going back through and like, what is he trying to get me to look at? And so here's a fire with a metal in it. And here is a ship on the sea and it's just getting blown all over the place. Right. And that's a foolish person who doubts. And it's like, man, mm. that's a really nice picture. And so I tried to read it without doing that. But then as I read it, I was like, oh, okay. And then I say about those journal Bibles, yeah. you just start writing things down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I think that will be a series coming down the pike will be yeah. you know, pictures of wisdom from James. Ooh, I and, love uh, that. The pictures ooh. idea. Yeah. Because he's really taking the Proverbs and he's recasting them yeah. to a different generation. Yeah. Exactly. And the whole ship metaphor, that's completely absent in and Proverbs. What's What's so interesting too is that you know, my initial connection was between Peter and James because mm-hmm. they both use that testing and trial. Yeah. And who are the epistles of James and Peter written to? Those in the dispersion. Right. Like he's mm-hmm. writing to Hebrews, yeah. Hebrew Christians. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's definitely got a heavy uh, Jewish proverbial flavor yeah. to it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've always struggled with James, like how do you piece it together in its syntax? Because it's just not like the other epistles. And that's because it's not like the other yep. epistles. It isn't. Like he that's is, good. he is being Proverbs in the New Testament, which, so anyway, that's why it's been a blessing to me. I read through some things even just today and then tried to, and this is again from Sir Teange, tried to then close it and then, okay, a, a function of memory. Like, what did you just read? Hmm. What were the pictures James wanted you to see? Okay. There's a metal in the fire. There's a boat on the ocean. You know, and you just, and then there's a flower in the field, and guess what? The sun comes up, and it withers. Mm. That's you, rich man. Yeah. And and so it's just so helpful. And you know, none of those really apply to me. You know, <laughs> I'm not a rich man. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's what I've been working on and been blessed by. I think about every time a rich man walks by a flower, after he's heard that, it's like gonna hopefully be a reminder. So you were saying uh, at the very beginning, why not count? my Bible reading as part of my yearly reading goals. Yeah. And it just reminded me, Peter Kroll, who has nobleword.com. He writes the book, The Noble Word. It's a book on Bible study I recommend is like your entry level book. He had a post a couple years back where he said every year his practice on January 1st is to start his Bible reading, his yearly Bible reading, and finish the entire Bible first before reading any other books. And I can't remember, it was something like mid-February or end of February, he would get done with the Bible. And then he would read only books after that. I had that thought, though, that, that what you're saying is very similar. You're trying to prioritize yep. 
God's word and not let it get lost in the shuffle of your life. I think that's admirable. And that's like a tip for our listener, I think. Yeah. And I really what do. I, what I love about those little scripture journals is it, it is a book like you're, yeah. you're grabbing like James, like this is what James wrote. And I treat it like a book. I put it into bookly. Here's how many pages it is. Mm-hmm. And you know, okay. I, and it's goes so much quicker, especially in a journal Bible, because you get like double pages. Cause there's, no. a note, there's a note page next to it. But if you're actually thinking about it and writing things down, that's exactly what I do in a normal book too. I'm highlighting yeah. things. Yep. I'm typing on my computer. Yep. And so, yeah, I, I, I I'm kind of stunned. I've never done that before with my Bible reading. Um, but, and I try to read that first each day, yeah, that's obviously. Good. So, so not to like belabor this, but I, I've started using Instapaper again. You guys know what that is? Mm. It's a web service where you see an article you want to read and you clip it and it goes into this Instapaper file. And then later you open that app on your iPad or something and it's just the articles, no, no pictures. And I know we're talking about scripture, but we're talking about reading. That's a little odd ways of counting reading. There's a way I can have books every week sent to my Kindle of all the articles I haven't read yet that week. Mm. And on the Kindle, it's the same font size. And it's a consistent page count. So you've talked about page count before. So I did this a, a couple of times and I realized I read like 300 pages over the course of like three or four weeks of all these articles I'm reading online. Yeah. And that was sort of an interesting, I like, do you count that? But I'm like, it, it realized this is the, when I'm looking at it on page, it's exact same kind of reading. Yeah. So that was interesting too. But, um, oh man, good creative thought there. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. Good books and business. And uh, what's coming up in this episode is Thinkling Little talking about numbers 16. You want to give a quick little intro to that before we swoosh over to it? So I have every every fall semester, my Hebrew Exegesis 1 students have to translate and then prepare sermons from Ruth. And then we uh, select a passage as a class. And I try to encourage them to select something that I've never studied so then I can do the work with them. The passage that was selected was number 16. And so we translated through and created sermons from number 16. And this was the fruit of my study. Let's have a conversation about the rebellion of Korah. In Numbers chapter 16, we have this entire uh, narrative. It, it lasts, lasts 40 verses. It actually even goes further. The entire chapter has some fallout. In fact, you, you kind of get to the end of the story and then it's like, and here's a little more. And then you get to the end of that and here's a little bit more. Uh, it just kind of drags on. So we're not going to go through the whole thing, but we're going to focus on the first 40 verses. Um, and I'm going to kind of bring this into a conversation about egalitarianism. This is something I've been studying recently. I want to just talk about the terminology a little bit here. There's egalitarianism, uh, which is the belief that there's equality between the genders. Uh, there's not man or woman anymore. All are equal under Christ. So uh, the prohibitions against women preaching Uh, women involvement in positions of leadership, Uh, the restrictions against them no longer apply. Then there's complementarianism, which uh, advocates that there there is inequality salvifically and ontologically, because men and women are people, but there is a complementing to one another, and that the man is the leader of the home, the man should be the leader of the church, uh, so complementarianism says that women should be um, are important and 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 help accomplishing. They are important in accomplishing the mission, um, but in a different way. They complement one another. Uh, men and women complement one another. So that's kind of like complementarianism, egalitarianism, and the conversation about complementarianism and egalitarianism is even kind of moving a little bit in that a lot of people don't want to be labeled egalitarian and others don't want to be labeled complementarian. So it's becoming like this broad spectrum where people are basically not adhering to a label and they'll even start taking pieces of both movements. So I'm not going to get into all of that, but part uh, in, in this, in this, um, conversation, but I may in a future one. So um, 
within the terminology, I also want to talk about patriarchy and patrocentric. So a number of episodes ago, quite a while ago, I was reviewing Daniel Block's book, uh, no, Daniel Block's article in the book, Marriage and Family in the Bible. Daniel Block writes the article for the Old Testament, and he said we should move away from the terminology patriarchy and say the Bible is patrocentric. I like that a lot, by the way. I like I really it do. too. Just teaching Roman history uh-huh. and the Roman family dynamic, mm-hmm. it was a it's 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 different. It's not what the Bible's promoting. I like patrocentric. That's really good. Right. So here's the funny thing is after I did that, after I made that statement, I actually had a pastor in our fellowship write us and says, I don't think we should let go of patriarchy. Ooh. Because uh, it is patriarchal. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is a terminology issue in that our culture has an idea of patriarchy that's different than the Bible's idea of patriarchy. In Daniel Block's article, he says, because of what our culture has done with the word patriarchy, we should disregard the word. I like, I like that. That's interesting. That's spicy. It's interesting. That pastor also highlighted Kevin DeYoung says we shouldn't let go of patriarchy. What? And so this is part of a conversation of hierarchy. And I am complementarian. I like the terminology complementarian. Uh, complementarianism is patriarchal. That's just the nature of it. And it states that patriarchy, the patriarchal system, is biblical. So within this whole conversation of complementarianism, egalitarianism, hopefully that terminology kind of sheds a little bit of light. It kind of introduces you to a bit of conversation about patriarchy and patrocentric. Should we keep or fight for, probably it's more fight for, the term patriarchy, or do we let go of it? And within all of that backdrop, Numbers chapter 16. To say, I don't think in my entire life I would think this is the chapter to go to to sort this out. I'm excited. So these are still kind of some thoughts that are ruminating in my mind, and maybe it's a bad place to go, but uh, we'll see how this oh, develops. Oh, no, don't take it that way. I oh, no, it's it's, oh, it okay. is that way. It is that way? Oh, it is that way. <laughs> All right. I think there is a connection, but okay. let's, because not many people go to number 16, but who knows anything about number 16? The OT guy at the table? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So give you a little bit of context with Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapters 13 and 14, they have the children of Israel uh, rebelled for the last time against the Lord. So they were supposed to go into the land. They sent the spies into the, the promised land. And the spies, 10 of the spies brought back a bad report. Two of the spies brought back a good report. And this was the proverbial last straw. And, and then the Lord said, you're not going to go into the land because you're not believing in me. You're not trusting in me. Funny thing then is that then the people are like, we will go into the land. We do believe the Lord will deliver us in Numbers chapter 14. And then Moses is like, don't, you're not going to win. God's not with you. And then they go up to war and they lose. So kind of just a synopsis. Israel is constantly rebelling. They've just been, um, they've just been cast well, the Lord has just told them, you're going to now wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, and so that was Numbers 13 and 14, gives you a little bit of context for Numbers chapter 16. So in Numbers 16, we have Korah. Uh, and Korah is, uh, well, I'll just read the text. I'm going to just read the first three verses. I'm going to be reading out of the CSB. It kind of reads through this text kind of nicely. I'm going to try to stay away from some some of the exegetical textual issues and stuff, but just kind of um, see what the story has to teach us really about fairness. Like how is, what is fair? What is equality? And, um, and I believe that this text actually has something to say about the complementarianism, egalitarianism discussion. Now, Korah, son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and An, son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took 250 prominent Israelite men who were leaders of the community and representatives in the assembly, and they rebelled against Moses. They came together against Moses and Aaron and told them, you have gone too far. Everyone in the entire community is holy, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? 
Okay, so what's going on here in this passage? So I'm going to ask you guys some questions. We'll see how we do to make this a little more conversational instead of me just explaining everything. But we have a rebellion. That word specifically is used. Okay. Korah is rebelling and a couple, well, a few other guys. With Datan and Abiram, Dathan and Abiram, and how are they identified in number 16, verse 1? Sons of Eliab. Right, sons of Eliab, and also then sons of <clears throat> Reuben. Oh, yeah, I had to trace that down there. Yeah, I know, I know. It's a little bit. Okay. It's, it's, we get lost in all of the son of, sons of, sons of, okay? But that they're sons of Reuben is important. And furthermore, that Korah is a son of Kohath, which is a son of Levi, okay, is an important setting up of this story. Because Korah, as a son of Levi, is a, a Levite. And so the Levites are in charge of an aspect of the sanctuary. How are we doing? Are we okay? Yes. Do we understand? Korah is a son of Levi. He is associated in some way with the... He actually has... They have His family has a specific function of tearing down the tabernacle and putting it back up and all of that. But they have a Levitical function. And now, the others do not. And the others do not. Thank you. Okay. The sons of Reuben do not have a Levitical function. Okay. Korah, as a son of Levi, does. Okay. And then they lead this rebellion, 250 prominent Israelite men. Okay, so we see that word prominent. They are leaders of the community and representatives in the assembly. So imagine you're Moses, Korah, and Datan and Abiram come before you, and there's 250 others that are coming before you. And these are not the bums off the street that are living under the bridges, okay? But who are these guys? What would be a modern equivalent to the 250 leaders? A modern equivalent? Or whatever. Like a senate? Yeah, maybe not a senate, maybe not that high, but kind of mayors and governors and people like, that are oversight. Like yeah. government of some sort. Yeah. Okay. okay. So these are important individuals that are exercising leadership within the community. Okay. And there's how many of them? 250. 250. So do you okay. understand the, this is a pretty wide scale rebellion. There's a lot of people. Now, what is then the accusation? You have gone too far every, in verse 3. You have gone too far. Everyone in the entire community is holy, and the Lord is among them. Is that true? Is everyone in the community holy, and is the Lord among them? No. I'm not sure what to say here. Okay. I'm going to go with no. Okay, I'm going to go with yes. Oh. Well, everyone is holy. Like they the are Bible set apart it. because they are yeah. Israelites, and they are children of Israel. And so everyone among them is okay. holy. They're set apart. Holy is going to be a key word through the entire text. Like we're thinking. Are they holy or not? So you're really not, you're probably not wrong in saying, no, they're not holy. I was just going off the basis of, since they're rebelling, I was maybe <laughs> oh. to understand that <laughs> well, that's what I, the basis of like, their rebellion is probably not right, correct. They're set apart holy okay, yeah. or there's like walking in Christian <laughs> the, living holy. They're, they're, they're set apart holy <clears throat> okay. because the Explain entire congregation. You have to, okay, there's two different points of view of a, of a narratival text. There's the perceptual and then the conceptual. And as we put ourselves in the shoes of Korah, okay, everyone in the community, the entire Israelite community is holy to the Lord. And that's a big point of Leviticus is that everyone is and should be holy to the Lord. Yes. Uh, so the Lord is among them and the Lord is among them. Uh, why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? So then the ag accusation is, what are, what, is, what, is, what are Moses and Aaron doing? They're exalting themselves above the assembly of the Lord. Oh. If we're all equal. Hey. That's quite the accusation. Okay. It is quite the accusation. Like the two big leaders, they're, they're just saying, hey, they're, you know, they're putting them. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's kind of the setting of what's going on in number 16. Now we move in uh now we move into the the um the plan. Okay, so Moses sets up this plan. Now Moses heard this, he fell face down. He said to Korah and all his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will reveal who belongs to him, who is set apart. What does holy mean? 
Set apart. Right. Because it's the same Hebrew word, who is holy, who is set apart. So set apart and setting yourself apart and being set apart is a major theme of Numbers chapter 16. So this would be a great Bible study for you to go through and to think through. Somebody is set apart for the ministry of the Lord. That would be the Aaronic priestly line. Okay, the Levites are set apart, and then the children of Israel are set apart. But they're set apart at different levels, almost like there's a hierarchy. Interesting. A lack of equality. Hmm. And how, from God's perspective, this is fair. And I think this can help us in modifying our understanding of fairness. So you can okay. kind of see where the yeah, conversation is I, I think is I see where you're going now. This is interesting. Right. So the plan is who is set apart, uh, and uh, and the one, okay, so verse 6, Korah, you and all your followers are to do this. Take fire pans, and tomorrow place fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord. Then the man the Lord chooses will be the one who is set apart. It is you, Levites, who have gone too far. All right, so Moses then sets up this whole plan. It's like, go get your... In, your uh, um, fire pan is the word that the CSB uses. In fact, the, the word here for the fire pan is uh, a sensor, which I was like, what's a sensor? Oh. Well, I mean, you can look it up. I don't even know so, how to define it, but it's essentially something you burn incense in. Okay. Um, oh, a sensor. <laughs> yeah. Incensor. Yeah, Incense, okay, okay. right. Interesting. So the CSB does <laughs> fire so pan fun. because nobody knows what a, a sensor is anymore in, in our culture. So they call it a fire pan. Okay, so that's the plan. And then we have a lot of instruction in, um, in verses 8 through 11. So, uh, Carter, you want to read for us verses 8 through 11? Moses also told Korah, Now listen, Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the Israelite community to bring you near to himself, to perform the work at the Lord's tabernacle, and to stand before the community to minister to them. He has brought you near and all your fellow Levites who are with you, but you are pursuing the priesthood as well. Therefore, it is you and all your followers who have conspired against the Lord. As for Aaron, who is he that you should complain about him? Okay, so what's going on then in this section? So he's pointing out, so verse 1, 2, and 3, Yeah, some of them are Levites, some of them are not. Right. And he's reminding them that the Lord distinguished yes, Levites from the rest, mm-hmm. and some of you are and some of you aren't. Mm-hmm. So those of you who are not Levitical, mm-hmm. trying to do what is Levitical, mm-hmm. You're in opposition to the Lord. Yes. Okay. But he's focusing it more on Korah himself in verses 8 through 11. Because Korah is a Levite. He is set apart in the ministry of the tabernacle, but Korah wants more. At the end of verse 11, he states, but you are pursuing the priesthood as well. Korah wants not only to be connected to the... That's verse 10. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Thank you. Korah wants to not only be connected to the... Um, the tearing down and the setting up of the tabernacle, but he wants to actually be able to be the priest to offer incense before God. And the reason is likely because the office of high priest is already becoming politicized Hmm. in that who's who's in charge of the community? Who's the political power? It's the priest. It's the priest. And so there, there's a misunderstanding of your role as, as a Levite and that you are connected to the holy place and now you want more. You want the priesthood. Furthermore, Datan and Abiram, these other guys that are Reubenites, they are going to be excluded from the political power structure of the community by not being priests. And so Korah is basically using these other guys to say, hey, it's not just it's not just a Levitical thing or an Aaronic thing. It's a we're all Israelites. Everybody is equal. It should be a democratic thing. Yeah, it the should be a democratic, democratic thing. Anybody should be able to offer wow, incense before is, the Lord. This is incredible. It is. Like, and this is really incredible. And it's very applicable. He's, he's not content. This is a, a it is it's a contentment issue. issue. It's ambition. It's it a is. self 
selfish mm. interest issue. It's misunderstanding wow. the ministry. So at the end of verse nine, it says it's pride. to stand before the community to minister to them. So uh, the point is that he he doesn't see that the the Levitical function, the Aaronic priestly function, was an act of ministry, wow. and they're modifying it and changing it to be a position of power, influence, and leadership. So they're totally misunderstanding huh. the priesthood, and they're wanting to usurp and take control because they want to be in a position of power. So yes, it is. It's pride. It's lack of contentment. It's ambition. It's all that it's stuff. It's like selfishness. This right. is crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the parallels too. You? You seeing I'm, it? I think I'm, now I'm like, oh, I think I know where you're going. Yeah. We'll, I'll, I'll withhold. Okay. So now we get their accusation in verses um, 12 through 15. Um can you read 12 through 15? Yes. Go for it. Uh, okay. Moses sent for Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come. Isn't, is it not enough that you brought us up from a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? Do you also have to appoint yourself as ruler over us? Furthermore, you didn't bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey or give us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? We will not come. Then Moses became angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them or mistreated a single one of them. Okay, so first let's analyze Korah's, well, um, uh, yeah, their their reply to, to Moses. Okay, so they say, Is it not enough that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? Okay, what land did they come out of? <laughs> Egypt. They came out of <laughs> Egypt. Which is defined as like a burning fiery furnace because of their slavery and persecution. So often, you know, this is what happens when we are discontent. Yeah. We add things from vision. Wow. And their vision seems clouded here. And even the language? Yeah. Like the promise was, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and okay. honey. And do, that's do you think the they purposely thing. flipped the... As like an accusation? Well, and and did Moses promise to take them to land flowing with milk and honey? I mean, that's what I remember, but I, now I'm like, did he say that? Did God just say that to Moses? I'd, I'd have to go back He and said he's going to take the children of Israel to the promised land, a land flowing with milk, milk and, and honey. honey. Okay. So yeah. that is the terminology. But remember what happened in Numbers 13 and 14. We can't take the land. And so yeah. they rebel. And so God says, fine. So guess what? You know, God as a wise human resource manager says, you're going to all die in the wilderness. I mean, you know, think through that from a business perspective as a human resources, you know, we're going to kill all these people off. Yeah. So there's actually some legitimacy to their accusation here. Is it enough that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? Oh, that is Egypt, a little off there, to kill us in the wilderness. Well, what's going to happen to them? They're going to die. They're going to die in the yeah, wilderness. Because God said you can't go into the promised You can't land. go in. Right. So think through that. There's actually some legitimacy. And this is what sin often does, is that it takes some elements that are true, but it's leaving out specific details, i.e. we kept rebelling against God and this is our punishment. So our children are going to be the ones going into the promised land. And then, do you also have to appoint yourself as ruler over us? Is that true? Who appointed Moses as the ruler? The Lord. The Lord did. Yeah, that's okay. That's a this big is why change. it's Im- embedded into his very name. His name simply means drawn out of the water. And we had an episode a while back mm-hmm. about Moses' name. Moses was drawn out of the water. It's a dumb name. But it emphasizes that God ordained that Moses be drawn out of the water, placed into Pharaoh's household. And then receive the education that he received and be equipped to do what God wants him to do. God is the one that appointed Moses. So then verse 14, furthermore, you didn't bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's true. Or give us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. It's true. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? So remember, Moses says, why don't you guys come up here and talk to us and let's talk about this. And they're basically saying, no, we don't want to talk to you about it because you're going to deceive us. You're going to gouge out our eyes and we're not going to, they're not going to be able to see, they won't see what's really going on and how Moses, you're a power hungry guy. Okay. So Moses then is like, don't respect their offering, Lord. 
Okay, so then in, in 16 through uh, eight, 17, 18, we get the story again, and then we get uh, God showing up in verse 19. Do you want to read 19 through 21, uh, mm-hmm. Carter? After Korah assembled the whole community against them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from this community so I may consume them instantly. So that is a separate word again, kind of interesting. Okay, so this whole thing about being separate, now God is saying, you separate yourself from Korah and this community. And that's something for us to think through too, as far as relationship to these individuals. God's saying, separate yourself from them. A key word of Leviticus, holiness. The word here is different. It's not the kadosh, kadash word, but it is still the idea of separation. So separate yourself from them. So God shows up and God's like, get away from these people because I'm going to consume them. Then what does Moses and Aaron do in verse 22? But Moses and Aaron fell face down and said, God, God who gives breath to all, when one man sins, will you vent your wrath on the whole community? In what function or in what way are Moses and Aaron functioning in verse 22? Well, now they're being the priests. They're like going to God for the people. They're literally being the priests. They are. They're interceding on behalf of the rebels. And they're saying, God, don't wipe everybody out. Should everybody be punished because of one man's sin? So you have actually the true function of the priesthood in that there's grace and mercy that they're advocating for the people. They have sinned, but, you know, just deal with, with the one guy. Okay, so then we get this uh, separation as a theme again in verses 23 through 27. Um, and, and then you have that Moses is the leader, and he is appointed as the leader, and God vindicates Moses at the leader as the leader in verses 28 through 35. This is a little bit longer section. I'm just going to go ahead and read God's word, though. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord sent me to do all these things, and that it was not of my own wit will. If these men die naturally as all people would and suffer the fate of all, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something unprecedented and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them along with all that belongs to them so that they go down alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. It's not that they've despised Moses, it's that they've despised the Lord. And the, the I almost have originally wondered, is this like Moses just speaking through hyperbole or figure of speech or something? If the ground gobbles them up and they die in some, you know, that it wasn't intended mm-hmm. to be by Moses, something literal, but more <laughs> uh, figurative. Um. But then what does God do? In verse 31, just as he finished speaking all these words, the ground beneath them split open. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households, all Korah's people and all their possessions. They went down alive into Sheol with all that belonged to them. The earth closed over them and they vanished from the assembly. So, I, I, it wow. pictures the ground as becoming an, a, a living organism where it literally opens its mouth, swallows them, and then becomes like the ground again. It's just all of them and their stuff is gone. And, and I, I kind of tried to visualize this in my mind as far as how that would have happened, but it's like a personified earth. And, and so think through that. In verse 34, then, it states, At their cries, all the people of Israel who were around them fled, because they thought, The earth may swallow us too. Fire also came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were presenting the incense. So these are not 250 inconsequential individuals. They are leaders of the different groups within the children of Israel. And God says, I've answered, you are not the chosen ones. 
or the sanctified, the set apart ones that I have appointed to function in this way in my tabernacle, in my, in my holy place. And he consumes them with fire. Okay, so that's kind of like the end of the story, sort of. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, there's a transition right here. Um, and, and the chapter and verse div divisions and stuff get a little bit wonky uh, because Numbers 17 in the Hebrew Bible begins at the English Bible's verse 36. So wow. 1636 is something different. That does conclude the story. But we have an additional component to the story in 36 through 40. And I, I think this is important for us because it helps explain what, why this story is in the Bible. And we have to remember this is an Old Testament story. It was different back then. We acknowledge that. But our idea of fairness and how God is fair and how people are equal needs to, can be, uh, guided and instructed by this Old Testament passage, I believe. So verse 36, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Eliezer, son of Aaron, the priest, to remove the fire pans from the burning debris, because they are wholly set apart, huh. and scatter the fire far away. As for the fire pans of those who sinned at the cost of their own lives... Make them into hammered sheets as plating for the altar, for they presented them before the Lord, and the fire pans are holy. They will be a sign to the Israelites. So the fire pans, these incense, um, these incense pans, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay, they become hammered into something else that function as a sign to teach the children of Israel something about the priesthood. And what is it that the fire pans become a sign to teach the children of Israel? Let's keep reading. So the priest Eliezer took the bronze fire pans that to those who were burned had presented, and they were hammered into plating for the altar. Just as the Lord commanded him through Moses, it was to be a reminder for the Israelites that no unauthorized person outside the lineage of Aaron should approach to offer incense before the Lord and become like Korah and his followers. In other words, God's idea of equality and fairness involves a difference in hierarchy in mm. that Moses was appointed by God to be the quote-unquote king okay, the ruler, the leader of Israel, Aaron and his biological descendants were appointed by God to be the leaders of the priesthood and that this was their ministerial function and nobody else is allowed to do so. Now, the reasons why Korah rebels and the I'm going to connect this now to egalitarianism, and you guys can think through this yourself, and the listener can think through it too by themselves. I'm going to read some quotes uh, from uh, a book, The Bible Versus Biblical Womanhood, um, by Philip Payne. It's a new book published by Zondervan. I've talked about it on the podcast, and I'm going to talk about it again. But... Um, the Bible versus Biblical Womanhood, How God's Word Consistently Affirms Gender Equality by Philip Barton Payne. And so the reason, what was one of the reasons why, um, according to Korah, why uh, other people needed to minister before the Lord? Well, he stated it back at the beginning of our text, and he said, it's too much for you. What verse? Verse 3. Okay. Uh, so... So uh, verse three, you have gone too far, okay? And that's the CSB's translation of it. Uh, you take too much upon yourselves. It's too much for you is literally what you have. In fact, this phrase becomes a wordplay because it's here. And then Moses accuses them about it at the end of verse seven. You take too much upon yourselves. So in other words, it's like the, the work's too hard. You know what? You need some help in doing this. These people are qualified. That's one of the arguments that Korah makes. It's basically an argument from 
pragmatism. Huh. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a pragmatic like, argument. You can't handle this. You need no, help. You need help. Right. Oh, I can see where this is. Yeah, you oh, can see wow. where this is going. Pastor, right. you need you need some a, help. Another perspective. You just can't do. Oh, you sorry. can't do it all by yourself. Yeah. So, Philip Barton Payne writes: prohibiting women from exercising their leadership and teaching gifts limits the proclamation of the gospel and the advancement of God's kingdom. He's making a pragmatic wow. argument, saying, you know what? If we let women preach and teach and lead, then we would have more leaders, more teachers, more preachers, and the kingdom of God would be advanced. Wow. It's a pragmatic argument, somewhat similar to Cora's argument. He continues to write, it is not just a waste of resources. So it gets into this whole idea of a proper use of human resources, of which what I've seen and argued from this text even is that God is a very poor human resource manager. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little mm -hmm. sarcastic there. The yep. point being is that he just took a whole pile of people and killed them off yeah. and didn't use their potential. So I'm pushing back with from pain here. So it's not just a waste of resources. Many people hate the gospel because they associate it with the subjugation of women. God demands justice and prohibits favoritism and the subjugation of others. Gender hierarchy inherently entails favoritism and historically has been linked with the subjugation of women. Now, this last point gets into God's idea of fairness and our culture's idea of fairness and the world's idea of fairness and, and egalitarianism's view of fairness. And that God's idea of fairness is different than what our world articulates and that there's a difference here between uh, fairness. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? really good. I just texted Stern's a pun he, that's not worthy just, of the yeah. air. <laughs> you guys are horrendous. No, no, we this is good. Good. <laughs> I, I have so many thoughts, Tim. The, the, yes. your, your parallelism between Cora and this book is alarmingly mm -hmm. clear and, yeah. and, and founded. Okay. Thanks. So later, uh, Payne writes, when certain leadership roles are only and always limited to men, that is by definition gender hierarchy. In fact, it is a particular kind of gender hierarchy patriarchy ruled by men. And this gets into this whole idea of hierarchy. What is hierarchy? It's just, it's like the chain of command. Yeah. It's who has authority and who's under other people's authority. Correct. And so it's, it's looking, in like every avenue of life. Correct. It's looking at uh, life from a power <gasps> perspective. What? That sounds kind of critical. And so... What is the priesthood supposed to be? Is it about power That's or about is service. it about ministry? It's about service. Okay. So you can kind of see maybe mm. a little bit of a connection there in that are we misunderstanding the role of a ministry in a similar way because we're looking at it as a power mm. position mm. instead of as a ministerial position, which is exactly what Cora was doing. So, so Cora was the first Marxist who followed critical like theory. <laughs> Seriously, no, he's seeing it through a power structure and everybody's he equal power, mm -hmm. and he couldn't have it through and the so, priesthood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's okay. I, so I'll he, hold my he thoughts. Wanted, I have thoughts. He wanted other of his group to have the same power. Well, I think he was just using the Reubenites to then be able to assert his own claim to the priesthood. Yeah. So then other people outside of the ironic line would be able to be, I mean, if you think through just God's idea of fairness, how unfair is it that somebody simply born of the, from, from the line of Aaron is the only person that's qualified to function as a priest. That seems extremely unfair. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm pushing back on the yeah. idea of fairness. Did you have something? Well, I don't know when you want input. So I'll just hold my input. So I've got you... two more things I'm okay. going to read and then we'll I've got totally broaden it out. Good. I, okay, that's fine. So in Payne's book, he talks about gender hierarchy and he states, by gender hierarchy, I mean a power relationship between women and men in which one gender is granted authority while the other is barred from serving in leadership roles. So he's confusing that serving and leadership roles. Yeah. And I think it's in a very similar way to 
Korah in Numbers 16. I'm going to continue reading. This stands in contrast to gender equality, which means that women and men are equally welcome. So anyway, that's the idea of his idea of hierarchy. He's looking at it completely in a power kind of situation. And I think that he kind of, he misses the point. Okay. I'm open. Go. So no, I, uh, I got, I'll say a couple things. You probably got some things to say, I assume. Go ahead. So the quick one is that is seriously critical theory from the like Frankfurt Institute and all that. Like this is the world is a power structure. This is Marxian. This is literally where our society since pre 2020 has been going. Everything's viewed through the lens of power. And if someone has more power, that's inequitable. And we have to fix that. Never mind that the people fixing it are the ones who have all the power because they get to determine what happens. So I'm just, I think I'm, my mind is just blown. Like, Mm -hmm. like this is shocking that it's right here in number 16. Mm -hmm. The second thing I'll say is that, what occurred to me this entire time was, and I wrote this down, if you just saw yourself as a created being and as a servant, all this goes away. Mm-hmm, it does. Because if I'm a created being and I'm God's servant, it doesn't matter what job God gives me. And that's the key point. But Cora isn't, and you said the service thing already. So uh-huh. I like, literally, it's the same thing. Like uh-huh. for someone to be wound up about this entails that they're no longer seeing themselves as a creature made by a creator and they're no longer seeing themselves as a servant of that creator because does the creator not have the right to tell you what your role is right and that's it is like what is my role and this is going to be different for even different men and different women and that you know somebody has to be the leader of faith baptist bible college somebody has to be the leader the mayor of Ankeny. And God is appointing specific individuals to accomplish his roles. And can I be content with that? Or am I going to be try to yeah. usurp yep. or to yep. take? So what is my role, Lord? I want to be content with the position that you've placed me in and to do the mission that you've laid out for me. And I'm going to be content with that and not seek to grab authority or power that you have appointed and given to given to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it's a broader application than simply just egalitarianism, complementarianism, but I do believe it applies um, because the egalitarians un- misunderstand God's fairness, mm-hmm. accuse God of injustice and unfairness, and then seek to create an equality that is contrary to God's definition of equality. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.